So this is a really good day to be at Brook Hills because it's the beginning of a new series, and the series is called Encounters with Jesus. You probably just saw that video, and what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is taking these snapshots and looking at moments where Jesus interacted with with different people. And today we're in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, so you can go ahead, turn to, type to Luke 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read them to us in just a moment. But before we do that, I want us to think for a minute about the word encounter. It's a word that we don't really use a whole lot. Like if I'm going to say I'm going to go and meet somebody, I'm going to use the word meet. If I use the word encounter, I'm kind of raising the level, right? (laughs) If I say I had an encounter with Elijah at Chipotle, you're like, that sounds weird. Was there a food fight? You know, what, what happened at Chipotle? If I said to you, I had an encounter with an alien, you would say, again, that's weird, but I'm an appropriate way to use that word, right? We don't use that word a whole lot, but what we mean by it is that from this moment on, something's different in my life, right? This is the, from this moment on, I don't look at the world the same, my life isn't the same, And a lot of us have had these kinds of moments in our life, these kinds of encounters. Some of you had it the moment that you met your future husband or wife. Maybe it was the day that your kids were born. Maybe it was the day you got a car, your license, you got into school, something like that. There was something that from from this moment on, my life was kind of different. There's also a really sad way of looking at that. Some of you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend in your past that really hurt you. Some of you had a financial implosion that happened. Some, some of you had a, a bad boss or an injury or some kind of doctor's visit. And it, you can't really tell the story of your life without talking about that thing. And that's what we're talking about here. And Peter has one of these moments. And we get to watch Peter having a moment like this. He's with Jesus. He's going to be in a boat. And he is not going to be able to tell the story of his life without kind of going back to this moment again. And we're going to see five things. I hope we see five things that Peter learned that we learn today as we look at this text. So we're going to read in Luke 5, starting in verse 1. You're going to want to keep your Bible open because I'm going to go back and forth. We're not just all reading it at one time right now. So verse 1, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. The Bible uses that interchangeably. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. He asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Now, there's one question to Peter, and he doesn't have a problem saying yes to that first request from Jesus. But Jesus is not finished asking for stuff, okay? So let's keep going. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. We're going to stop there for a moment. The first thing I want us to see, this is the first fill in the blank for you, is that small steps in faith are still steps of faith. Small steps in faith are still steps of faith. You know, Danielle and I have this phrase that we have used for years with our girls, and it's the ideal obedience, and it goes something like this, all the way, right away, with a joyful heart. Some of you might have used that before. All the way, 
right away with a joyful heart. What actually normally happened in our home <laughs> was some of the way, kind of delayed, moving towards a joyful heart, right? <laughs> that's what typically was happening, and that's what's happening today. Peter's on the boat, and he's a little bit, he's respectful, but he's reluctant. Peter knows that Jesus has religious insights. He's an influential teacher. He would even call him master. But at the end of the day, Jesus is a carpenter. You know, if Peter has a wobbly table leg, he's going to come to Jesus. But keep all of the fishing expertise to Peter, right? He's actually an expert enough that he's been able, he's like a small business owner. He's been able to buy boats and nets and hire people. So you can understand his reluctance when Jesus asks him to do this, and he says, you don't get what you're asking here. We've been working all night. I know how to fish. You know, Peter is in a place that all of us have been in before, and I, I want to call it an obedience crossroad. So we have this clear command from God, but what we do in the moment is we kind of quickly do the math of what this obedience is going to cost me. We try to figure out whether or not I'm going to obey. And I love that the Bible includes this, right? This moment, this unsanitized version of Peter's emotion. Because all of us have those same emotions, don't we? When we, when we see something God's commanding us to do, we have real emotions because there are real consequences connected what we're being asked to do. But this is something I want us to see today. It's this, that we should let the commands of Jesus have the final word not the consequences of what we'll lose for following him. We should let the commands of Jesus have the final word, not the consequences of what we'll lose for following him. Now, I was sharing the gospel with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and as I was sharing the gospel with him, I realized that this guy has had a religious background. Like, he knew a lot about the Bible, but as we talked about his life, I realized, man, the Word of God has very little impact on the decisions that you're making and the things that you believe. So I said to him, hey, man, if I could show you in the Bible that the Bible has something to say about the way that you're living and the decisions that you're making. Would it make any difference to you at all? And, and he looked at me and I was thankful for his honesty with me, but he said, actually, no. I, I, I like the way that I'm, I'm living. You know, he was saying to the Lord that my job, my life, that's my jurisdiction, right? I get say in that. You can have Sunday, but you don't get to say what happens over here. But you know, it's not just these major moment crossroads that we have, these obedience crossroads. You and I have moments like this every single day. A couple of years ago, I was telling a story to somebody, and as I was telling them this story, I realized that I was skewing the details of the story so that I would look better. And, and I walked away from that, and I, I realized, man, I didn't want to admit it in the moment, but I realized I just lied to that guy. And, and what made it kind of difficult was that this person was and still is a really important person in my life. And so I was just sizing up, you know, doing the math. If I go back to him and say, tell him what I did, it's embarrassing, right? He's going to be thinking, what else is Daniel lying to me about, Right? What, what, what else can I, he, he's not as holy, not as righteous as, as I thought he, he really is. You know, some of you know that if you are honest about some unethical behavior in your life, that you will probably lose a client or a sale or a career. 
Some of you know that if you confront a gossiping friend, that they might turn on you and start gossiping behind your back. Some of you know that uh, if you admit to cheating on your schoolwork, that you probably won't get into the school that you want to get into. And I want us to listen. As we think about this, I want us to listen to what it says in John 8, 31. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. That is the definition of being a, a, a disciple, a Christ follower. Not just knowing what Jesus says, but following it. Lots of people know the sayings of Jesus. Here's a description of somebody that's a Christ follower. Someone that knows God, God's word and puts it into practice. So Peter's obedience, it was colored with some reluctance, but I want you to look at what it says in verse 5. Look at back there at your text. It says this, but if you say so, I will let down the nets. Some, some of your translations might even say this, at your word, I'll let down the nets. You know, Peter had a small step in faith, but it was still a step of faith. Even if you can't put together, if you can't make sense of all of the things that Jesus is asking him to do here, he still obeys. And it's this statement, this statement of, if you say so, if you say so, that's a turning point for the rest of his life. One theologian I read this past week, he said this, and I think this is so, such a great way of saying it, that the rest of Peter's life swung on the hinge of that statement. The rest of his life swung on the hinge of that statement. In that moment, at your word, I'm going to obey, even though I don't understand. I want you to think about what happened in John chapter 6. So John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to all of these people, and he starts saying some really difficult things to all the people. He starts saying things like, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you're not my disciple." And so all of these people before him, it's not just the indecisive crowds, but his disciples, they're all looking at him and they're like, what is he talking about? It's really hard to follow you, Jesus. And so they start turning from him. They desert him. And so in John chapter 6, I'm going to start reading to us here. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this, from that moment, many of the disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him, no longer accompanied him. And so Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, Peter on the boat that day didn't say all of that, right? <laughs> he was hesitant. He was reluctant. But if you say so, I'm going to obey at your word, I'm going to put down my nets. That became, for Peter, a stair step, a first step, a faith step, and it impacted the rest of his life. You know, Peter didn't only learn that day how to take a step of faith. He also learned that Jesus has sovereign power. And the next fill in the blank here is that Jesus can get a catch even in poor conditions. Listen to what it says there. I'm going to keep reading in verse 6. It says, When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. You know, this is not how you're so supposed to fish on the, on the Sea of Galilee. If you were a rival fisher person that day, you're looking over at Peter and you're going, Man, what a goober, that guy. He's going out at the wrong time. You're not supposed to, to fish in the heat of the day. You're supposed to go at night. 
You're not supposed to fish in the deep. You're supposed to go in the shallows. And Peter's confidence is so low in this plan that Jesus is asking that he doesn't even ask the other boat to join them, right? They have to call the other boat to come over. That's how low his confidence was in what Jesus asked him to do. But this is what I think the text is telling us today, uh, that poor conditions don't stop Jesus from getting the catch. Poor conditions don't stop Jesus from getting the catch. Look at what happens in verse 8. Simon Peter saw this and he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those that were amazed, uh, all of them were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken in. You know, a moment ago, Peter's respectful, right? (laughs) He says, master to him. But in this moment, as the miracle is unfolding, what does he say to, to him now? He says, you're Lord. He's been looking at Jesus all along, but now he finally sees Jesus, sees him for the first time. He sees that Jesus has sovereign power. He sees that Jesus can command all of the fish in the sea to get in the nets and they obey. Even if Peter was reluctant to obey, the fish were not, right? (laughs) They jumped in all of those nets that Jesus told them to jump in and they obeyed. Here's what I think the Bible is telling us, that in ideal or in poor circumstances, Jesus will always get his catch. In ideal or in poor circumstances, Jesus is always going to get his catch. I love the story of how Charles Spurgeon came to Christ, his conversion story. He tells it like this, that he was uh, walking through this massive blizzard, 1850, January 6th. He's in London, walking through this massive blizzard. And it's such a big blizzard that it redirects him. And he has to go to a, a, a different building than he had planned on. He went into this little Baptist church. And he went into this church, and the pastor that's supposed to be there that day wasn't there because of the blizzard. And so there's this, what he calls a poor, uneducated church member got up, and he's sharing the word. He's reading the text, and he tells as much about the text as he can that day. And so then we pick up here what Spurgeon says about it. He said, when he managed to spin out 10 minutes... He was at the length of his tether. (laughs) I love that description of poor preaching. Some of you are feeling that this morning, okay? Then he looked at me under the gallery, and and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And then he said, young man, you look very miserable. (laughs) Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. And he continued, you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun and I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, the precious blood of Christ. You know what happened, friends? That happened that day was Jesus went fishing in poor conditions, and he got a catch. He went fishing in a blizzard. (laughs) He went fishing with poor preaching, and he still got a catch. And this is what we learned, that Jesus has sovereign power that cannot be matched, and he can't be stopped. So we've seen that small steps in faith are still steps of faith. 
Jesus can get a catch even in poor conditions, but now I want us to see that Jesus has more mercy than we have sin. And I just want you to think about all of the people that have been crowding to see Jesus. So if you go back up in your Bible there, look at what it says in verse 1. The people are pressing into Jesus. You see that there? If you look back up to chapter 4, Jesus has gone away to a deserted place. He's gone away to, to get away from people, but the crowds, they still find him. So everybody wants to be around Jesus. But when Peter sees Jesus, when he really sees Jesus, what does he say to Jesus? He says, go away from me. Go away. Look at what it says in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. You know, you might have expected Peter to maybe worship Jesus in this moment, maybe. You might have expected Peter to even say, hey, can we see that happen again, right? (laughs) He doesn't say either of those. He says, go away from me because he knows in that moment I'm standing before the Holy Son of God. He realizes in that moment the distance between him and Jesus. This is the impact, friends. This is the impact of opened spiritual eyes. You know, some of you have been religious your whole life. You you come to church a whole lot, and every time that you come here, you, you, you've kind of been in church, but you've never really been in Christ because when you're here, unless the band is really great or the preacher is really interesting, you kind of have a disinterested yawn towards everything happening here. But if you ever, when you ever really see Jesus, see who he is, see what he has done for you, see what an impact it has in your life, I promise you, You're never going to have a disinterested yawn towards Jesus again. And I want you to see something else that happens in this text, something really amazing here. Look at how Jesus responds to Peter. We've looked at what Peter says to Jesus. Now, what does Jesus say back to Peter? Well, he doesn't say to him, finally, somebody finally sees who I am. You know, he doesn't say that. But he doesn't, he doesn't say to him, you know what, you're not that bad. Don't worry about it. You know, you've got some weird habits. You talk like a sailor, but we can clean it up. It's not going to be that bad. He doesn't say either of those things to Peter. What he says to Peter is so much more powerful than either of those things. He says to him, don't be afraid, and I want you to follow me. Don't be afraid, and I want you to follow me. You know, when Peter feels most sinful, that's the moment that Jesus is bringing him the closest. When Peter feels his sin the most, that's the moment when Jesus is bringing him closer. Have you ever seen a movie where the character does something really bad and they want to go take a shower or they want to go clean their clothes or, or change clothes or something like that? Maybe you have even done something like that, had that experience Now, why why does that happen? It happens because we want to get rid of our dirt, don't we? We want to get rid of our stain. We want to be done with it. And even if we want to get rid of our dirt and our stain, Jesus doesn't stiff arm the unclean. Sinful people don't repulse Jesus. Actually, far from it. Actually, Far from being repulsed by them, Jesus brings them even closer. He brings Peter even closer. 
He says to Peter, don't be afraid, and I, I want you to follow me. You know, this is just the first instance of so many instances in Peter's life where he will have mercy from Jesus like this. I want us to think for a moment about what happens in John 21. You can go, actually, go ahead and turn there. John 21, let me set this up though. In John 21, Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen again, but the, but the uh, Peter and some of the disciples, they're going back out. They go back out and they're fishing again and they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught a thing and so Jesus comes to them it sounds a whole lot like our text today Jesus comes to them verse 4 it says this when daybreak came Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus friends Jesus called to them you don't have any fish do you no they answered so Jesus is just kind of messing with them there right <laughs> cast the nets into the side of the boat he told them and you'll find some so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one that Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. You know, this is an almost identical moment to the one that we're looking at in Luke 5, but there's just one massive difference. Did you notice the big difference between these two? In Luke 5, when Jesus, when Peter sees Jesus, what does he say? Go away from me. But in John 21, what happens? He's swimming to Jesus. He's swimming in his underwear, right? He just wants Jesus at this point. What is the difference? What's the only difference between these two accounts? The only difference between them is the cross, Days before, Peter saw Jesus hanging on the cross for his sin. And he realized in that moment that he isn't just sinless and holy, he's also Savior. He realizes in that moment that he's not just the sin exposer, he's also the sin taker. I want us to think for just a moment about something that it says in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 tells us this about the cross, that there is an accusation list against all of us. And this accusation list, it has all of the holy demands of God, the ways that we should actually live our life, but then it has all of the ways that we have rebelled against God, all of our sin, our rebellion, our self-exaltation, our self-worship, all of our wicked sin. It's on this list. But the Bible says this in Colossians 2, that if we turn from our sin and turn to Christ, that that list is nailed to the cross. And you don't have to bear it anymore. And just like the hymn says that you will not bear it anymore, everyone that turns to Christ can be forgiven. He is the only Savior that we have. And you know, the cross is the only reason that any of us here would ever want to not say to Jesus, go away from me. The cross is the only reason that any of us would want to run to Christ. So I want to call you today, encourage you today, run to Christ. He will forgive your sins. So Peter sees Jesus, and he's ready to hear what we see next, which is disciple-making is the mission. That's your next, number four, disciple-making is the mission. And he says this in verse 10, don't be afraid, Jesus told him, we've already seen this, from now on, you will be catching people. 
So the story of Simon's life can't be told without this moment. But in that moment, Jesus wasn't sizing up all of Peter's uh, people-catching ability. He was just looking at this. He wasn't looking at all of his ability. He was looking at his availability. Are you available? And that's what he was looking for. And here's the question I think that we all need to be asking this morning. If disciple-making like this is so important to God, how do I grow? How do we grow in our passion for wanting to see disciples made? Well, Bill Bright, uh, who started Campus Crusade for Christ, some of you were probably involved with Crusade when you were in, in college, he died in 2003. And at his, at his memorial service, a lot of people shared testimony about the impact that Bill had on their life. And one of the people talked about how if Bill Bright was around somebody, even for just a few minutes, that he would look for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, you and I can't even imagine something like that, right? Like even if we are in a public place and somebody comes and tries to talk to us, what do we do? We go look for our phone, right? We try to like look down. We try to say something like, I don't need any insurance or I'm good with my essential oils or something like that. You know, we're, we don't want to talk to people. And so I am sure that Bill Bright was rejected over and over and over again. So I want to ask you this question. What made him, what made him keep going? What was the engine there that kind of kept Bill Bright going? Well, I want to read you something that they shared at his memorial service that he actually wrote. And he wrote this. None of us have a long time here on planet Earth. It's kind of a staging ground. It's our split second in eternity when we have the opportunity to invest our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasure to help fulfill what the Lord came into this world to do and commissioned us to do. In fact, his last words before he ascended to be with the Father were, be my witnesses. I love this statement that one of my friends says, and I think it's really helpful. That the Bible comes to us, it moves in us, and it moves through us, but it was never meant to stay with us, right? You know, this is one of the reasons that we, all the time here at Brook Hills, we talk about our purpose statement, we want you, we want to together love Jesus, grow in Jesus, make disciples of Jesus because we have a theology of movement. We have a theology of going, of making disciples. Now, I, as I've thought about those, the, that statement that Bill Bright made, I thought of three statements that have kind of helped me think about how I want to be engaged in this kind of work. And I'm going to give them to you here, and I'm going to give them to you in first person as I have been kind of preaching it to myself this week as I've been thinking about it. And it's eternity, availability, and a company. Eternity, availability, and a company. First of all, I and everyone I meet will live forever, either with Christ or separated from him. And so that reality should motivate me to share the gospel with as many people as I can. Number two, availability. God has put people in my life that are far from him but near to me. Near to me and far from him. And what he wants most is not that I am brimming with ability, but that I would give God my availability. And third, a company. You know, I did not think up this mission. I, this was not my idea. It's God's idea. And every day that God wakes me up, puts 
air in my lungs, he says to me, do you want to join me today? Do you want to join me in the mission that I have in, in the world? So I want us to see one last thing now, and it's that following Jesus is worth more than anything. Following Jesus is worth more than any, anything. That's the, the last fill in the blank there. Verse 11, let's look at what happens in verse 11, the end of, end of this account. So they brought the boats to the land, left everything, and followed him. You know, Peter has never seen a one-time catch like this in his life, right? <laughs> and it's at the height of his business success that he walks away from everything. And the question that I think that we need to ask ourselves today is, how should I be thinking about this story? Should I just be kind of cheering Peter on? Maybe is that what the Bible wants me to do? I'm just cheering Peter on. I'm saying, man, way to go. Can't believe you did that. Or is the Bible coming to all of us and saying, okay, your turn. Your turn to sell everything you have, give it all away, and go. I think that actually the Bible is saying something different than either of those things. And I think that the Bible is telling us this, that Jesus might not call everyone to leave everything, but he's calling all of us to leave anything. Jesus might not call everyone to leave everything, but he's calling all of us to leave anything. But here, friends, here is the rub, that it's hard to leave our stuff, isn't it? It's hard to leave our stuff. You know, this is the reason that when Jesus came to the rich young ruler and he said, that, he said to the rich young ruler, I want you to give everything that you have away and I want you to follow me. That It says that the rich young ruler went away and he was sad. And he was sad because he had lots of stuff. Just before World War II, a French scientist named Henri de Dupois, I think I'm saying that right, Henri Dupois, he invented a way for the French army to be able to preserve their food for the coming battle. And his invention now is what we know of as shrink wrap. So if you've ever had a moment where you can't open up some shrink wrap, you know what name to say in anger. You could say Dupois. Sorry, that was a bad joke. Okay. Here's what's interesting about shrink wrap, though. Think about this. Whenever you cover something with shrink wrap, whatever you heat, whenever you heat shrink wrap, it shrinks down to the size of the thing that it's surrounding, right? And friends, I want to I just kind of say that I think our lives have a way of shrink wrapping around our stuff. Have you ever felt something like that? Have you ever felt that there's a, an obsession over something that you want or something that you have, and we shrink down to the size of a house, or a car, or a boat, or a career, or a friend, or a phone, or some clothes. And the, this is one of the reasons that many of us deal with crippling anxiety, because it's exhausting to live like this, isn't it? We were never meant to be shrink-wrapped down to the size of something so small. So I want to ask us this question today. How do we change how do we change from a person that cares about such small things to being obsessed with little things to being a person that will give up anything 
to follow Jesus and make a whole bunch of disciples? Well, I want to read to us as we close a disciple, or I'm sorry, a parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 13. And it's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read this to us, though. Matthew 13, it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything and he bought it. You know, we all understand how worth works, don't we? All of us understand what that's like. We constantly trade for what we find most valuable. We trade time for money. We trade money for food. We trade money for travel. And we know exactly what this salesman is doing in this text. He is looking for the best pearl. He's got a lot of valuable pearls, but he's not looking for valuable pearls. He's looking for the pearl. He, it says here that it's a priceless one. It has no equal. There's no trade-up beyond this one pearl. And the text says that this guy is not value agnostic. He's not value apathetic. He wants this one pearl, and he's willing to give anything up so that he can have this one pearl. Now, I want to just say very plainly what I think this text is saying, what actually I think Luke 5 has been telling us today, and it's this, that the parable Luke 5 is asking us this question, do you see Jesus this valuable? Do you see Jesus as this valuable? Could you say anything and everything is on the table? And I just want him. I just want to follow Jesus. Jesus is worth giving up anything to follow. You know, I wonder how you've been listening to me describe Peter today. I wonder how if you're listening to me describing Peter and you're saying, man, it's amazing when some people have these radical experiences with Jesus. They'll, they'll just do anything. They'll do crazy stuff. They'll, they'll walk away from a really successful business. They'll, they'll just do crazy stuff. I wonder if you listen to him and you think, man, that's really radical. That's really crazy. Or are you listening today and you say, I get it. I get it for the first time. I get why Jesus is so valuable. Why Peter would look at Jesus and he would say, you're the holy son of God and I'm willing to give up everything so that I can follow you. 